0: You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw to a looking. Flips it down, to wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua to knew where he was going right away.
1: All the of that there, man. I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle. Waddle.
0: To a shotgun. Back to throw. Looking. Steps up. Fires. Touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown pass of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now.
1: Let me check your pulse
0: if you're not fired up.
1: What is up, Dolph fans? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network covering your team. Miami Dolphins, how's it going everybody? I am your host Travis Wingfield and on today's show it's more than just the Miami Dolphins this time of year we become a little bit more of a football NFL all things pigskin show we are going to kick off the year end review as we go position by position and break down what the Dolphins accomplished at each group. Where some improvements can be made, some key stats, and what each individual does well in each and every room. We'll start today with the defensive end slash outside linebacker position. We'll call that the edge. We'll also talk about the divisional round playoffs, what we learned, talk about our picks. We'll also celebrate the top 10 sacks of the 2022 season. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is... The Drive Time Podcast. That's
0: another Miami Dolphins...
1: Divisional playoffs are a wrap, and just like that, only four teams remain, three games left. I kind of feel like we have the best four teams uh, remaining in football, which is a a treat, although the playoffs have been a bit of a letdown so far in terms of high-wire action intensity at the end of games. Last divisional round playoffs, I think, was all four games went to overtime, or three of the four games uh, went to overtime, and all of them were decided on the final play of the game. Didn't get any of that this weekend. But I do think there every year are some instructive things to take away from each playoff run. And this year, it's multifold in terms of how I think that impacts the Dolphins. Number one is, you know, go to Buffalo Bills Twitter right now. And you're going to see a bunch of not happy Bills fans. And they're going to be telling you about how the direction they feel right now is the least positive it's been. In several years, because a few years ago, you make the AFC championship game, you get blown out by the defending two time, or I should say the defending champions and now two times in a row, uh, AFC champions and the Chiefs, and you felt like they were kind of pumped to be there. And then the next season, you know, you kind of let your moment go by the 13 seconds against the Chiefs once again. And now in this game to come out and just get outplayed on your home field in the elements. By a team that is not going anywhere anytime soon, has to feel like a kick in the teeth in a conference where you felt like you could possibly run this thing for a few years. And if not you, the Chiefs will now welcome contender number three in Joe Burrow in the Cincinnati Bengals. But more of the bigger take to me is. I think the Bills got worse this year. I think we saw that in the playoffs. I think we saw the inconsistencies all year long, and we thought the Dolphins improved. We've been talking about closing that gap for a while now. Obviously, offseason has a lot to do with it and what's going to go on over the next couple of months and player acquisition, and obviously Miami getting their own guys back from you know injuries I think is the biggest upgrade this team will make. But I want you to think about this. Based on how both these teams you know finished the season, here are the uncommon opponents for Buffalo and Miami next year. They'll get the Bengals and Jags, the first place AFC North and South finishers. And then the AFC East is one game in the NFC this year is the NFC South. So they will also get the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, really that entire divisions. The AFC East has to feel like it's going to sweep that division next year. We'll see what happens again as they acquire players and things move around. But for the Dolphins... A Ravens team that we'll see what happens at quarterback, but they haven't been as the Ravens we've known in the last couple of years. A Titans team that might be on the verge of a full-blown rebuild. And a Falcons team that doesn't know what they have at quarterback and frankly has kind of played above board the last couple of years. So I think Miami has an advantage there. I think that we saw over the course of the weekend, the theme of the weekend was dominating in the trenches on either side of the football And I think where you see Buffalo and Miami separate here is in those two areas, because Buffalo's offensive line has been rough all year, and their pass rush without Von Miller wasn't really effective. And I know the defense had its own issues all over the place, but the pass rush was a big problem on Sunday. It had been in in multiple games this year. But I think you look at how the Eagles just ran the ball down the Giants' throat, their depth on the offensive line, to be able to plug guys in for the Bengals as well. I mean, they were down three starting offensive linemen, and, and they dominated in the trenches on both sides of the football. We saw it in the opening game with the Kansas City Chiefs, Isaiah Pacheco. They lose their starting quarterback and go to Chad Henney and execute a 99 yard drive where Henney only averages three yards per pass, but Pacheco runs the football and they close that game out by shortening it at the end with the running game. You go to the night game, we mentioned the Eagles and Giants. I mean, that was a, just a bloodbath on both sides of the football. You go to Sunday, Bengals just dominate in the running game with eight, nine yards a pop. And then the night game, the Niners, they shorten that game in the fourth quarter after getting a lead based upon you know, majority of the running game, getting the job done. So all four teams that won this weekend ran the ball and closed the game with the running game. And, you know, to bring this back to Miami and Buffalo, obviously we know the running game here has to get better. I think it's a chance to develop an identity to give you a, an offshoot of your high-powered passing game, which can make this offense unbelievably explosive and possibly the best in the NFL if they can develop a top 15 or 10 running game. We're talking, you know, a number one offense, in my opinion, if they can do that and furthermore to sweep buffalo or to beat him again once and you know give yourself a chance to win the division josh allen presses right that's what that's what he does i mean he did it against us 16 yards average depth of target down the football field what happened in that game on sunday he was pressing all game long because bang, the bengals were shortening the game with long possessions and were scoring on those possessions meaning the bills margin for error became super slim so if you want to really ratchet up that erratic play another notch, run the ball down their throat over and over again, kind of like you did in the game in Buffalo back in December. You just kind of didn't finish off at the end, but... That might be the key here, man. My other takeaway from divisional round weekend is that quarterbacks get injured, man. It happens. Patrick Mahomes comes back on one ankle. We'll see how he looks in the Bengals game next week. I don't think it's going to look great in terms of what we're used to with Patrick Mahomes. Before the injury, he looked like the ideal version of any quarterback of all time. But if he doesn't return there and KC loses, you're talking about three of the six teams knocked out of the AFC playoffs thinking the reason that it happened was because of the absence of their quarterback, because the Bengals probably don't survive the Ravens if Lamar Jackson plays. The Bills probably don't survive us if Tua plays. And if Chad Henney plays that entire game, I don't think the Chiefs survive that game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. So there's some interesting stuff there from Divisional Round Weekend. Quarterback injuries uh, the running game dominating on both sides of the football in the trenches and how close I think Miami is in that regard because I think you look at the offensive line Teron Armstead Connor Williams and Rob Hunt to me are three pro bowl caliber players on your offensive line right now I think you have depth we'll see what it looks like with competitions and player acquisitions this offseason but if you can get one more guy of that quality and then maybe another upgrade at the other spot and then you have on defense Bradley Chubb Jalen Phillips, Christian Wilkins, Zach Seeler. Maybe you bring back Melvin Ingram or Andrew Van Ginkle. Raquan Davis in there as well. I feel good about the Dolphins' ability to win the trenches consistently if they can make one, one and a half, maybe two moves on the offensive line this offseason. And also speaking of quarterbacks, uh, I think we learned a lot this weekend as well about who. The haves and have-nots, and the Giants and Daniel Jones is an interesting situation out there in, in, New, in New York. Uh, the Niners, to me, is a fascinating situation with Trey Lance coming off the injury. I, I think you can do better than what Brock Purdy has shown you this year, but he's also a rookie, so we'll see if he can grow and improve. But such a fascinating weekend all around for multiple reasons. And since it is the offseason, the player acquisition period is a little less than two months away. We've got Senior Bowl and Combine packed in there as well. We'll talk more about these playoffs as well, as I went 5-1 and one on the weekend, by the way, uh, picking the games this week, that makes me 8-2 and two overall. I'll have to change my championship game picks because I don't have Buffalo around anymore, but I will make that pick later on this week on the podcast on Friday show. Let's go ahead and get back to the Miami Dolphins here completely, though, and give you the review process of the offensive, or I should say, outside linebacker defensive end. It's the edge position. Who are we kidding ourselves here? Some team accomplishments here from this group was the pass rush win rate was third in the NFL At 50%. That's an ESPN stat that calculates you going up against your man in pass rush and providing a pressure on the quarterback. That's all it tallies actually the pressure on the quarterback i don't think even tallies into the stat it's just beating your guy in a reasonable amount of time and basically you know getting into the backfield towards the quarterback dallas and philly tied for first at 52 percent. i'm telling you guys it wasn't the pass rush it wasn't the front it was the inability to cover that that resulted in 40 sacks which was tied for 14th this year i think if you had health in the secondary i think that sack number increases you know Tenfold. I, I think you go up to maybe 50 or more sacks. You can be a top five or six team in terms of sacking the quarterback. But they were f- 14th with 40th sacks this year. The run stop win rate was tied for fourth at 32%. The Titans were tops at 36. The Jets and Rams were tied for second and third at 33%. So near the top in each of those two categories. And Seth Walder of ESPN posted a graphic last week with sacks on the Y-axis and pass rush wins on the X-axis, which gives you an illustration for how they fare against their man and pass pro, and what happens beyond that becomes dependent on those other factors, right? Coverage, quarterback getting the football out. That's why this is the best team game in all of sports, because opposing quarterbacks had the third fastest time to throw in 2022. If Miami can increase that number by just a little bit, by covering a little more and still maintain that level of pass rush execution or do it through confusion in the scheme when you get Brandon Jones back and him and Javon Holland can come back down to the line of scrimmage and run around and cause chaos, and maybe it's a little more zone-centric defense. We'll talk about defensive coordinators and potential fits on that later in the week. I think you can see a huge jump in sack production. Let's talk about the individuals here in order of their jersey numbers, give you the stats and where they rank in these key categories. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take our first break right here on the Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Picking it back up here on the Monday edition of the Drive Time Podcast, we're looking at the Dolphins' entire roster and breaking this thing down, what they got, where they can improve, and what individuals they have coming back next season. And again, I think this is one of the positions where you've seen the Dolphins kind of transition who they are at the position group you know, a few years back, we talked a lot about the Patriots mold and how you build that defense from the from the back to the front with corners, and you can never have enough cornerbacks. You get a couple of solid safeties that can communicate and are versatile. And then the pass rush takes care of itself based upon your blitzing and rush package games up front. But I think we've seen this transition to really guys that can just win their matchups. And, you know, as a product of that, getting better in the pass rush in general. And I think, Jalen Phillips is the reason for that. He enjoyed a true breakout season. I know the sack numbers were similar, but his impact on the film and the quantifiable impact in terms of pressures and hits and run defense, it was all there for him. There's a pretty healthy amount of data that suggests that high-volume pressure players tend to have the sacks that follow shortly when the sample size becomes undeniably larger, and I think that a player like Jalen Phillips could really take off Uh, In that regard, he's number 15, obviously. He was tied for fourth in ESPN's pass rush win rate among edge defenders. Uh, That was 24%, tied with Trey Hendrickson. Only Parsons, Reddick, and Garrett were higher. He was also top 10 in run stop win rate, along with five players, tied for 10th, I should say, at 28%. He gave you 901 snaps, 280 were against the run, 522 as a pass rusher, and he played 99 coverage snaps. 77 pressures, was fifth in the NFL at the position group. 25 hits, was also top 10, seven sacks and 42 run stops. This guy's a freak, man. Eight tackles for loss, had a forced fumble and two fumble recoveries, also that blocked punt for your ball production there. And I just look at what he can do rushing outside, rushing inside, and the knowledge to understand how to adapt and adjust in game has been a very prevalent feature and fixture of his game. And he he sets a hard edge. His pursuit play man, he goes after the football and makes a lot of big plays where he's chasing things down from the backside. So I think Jalen Phillips has superstar potential. I think he has 15, 16-sack potential, and I think we'll see it sooner rather than later. I said I was going to go in order of jersey number. I didn't do that, but let's go ahead and go back to that now and talk about number two, Bradley Chubb, who tied for sixth overall in ESPN's pass rush win rate. Among edges, he was 23% along with Vaughn Miller. Uh, 362 total snaps for Miami, so not a great sample size. 103 against the run, 249 as a pass rusher, and 10 in coverage. With that, he provided 28 pressures. 12 hits is a good, really good number. It's basically Jason Phillips in a half a season. Two and a half sacks was not where you wanted it to be. Seven runs to Stops, one tackle for loss and one forced fumble. And I think that Bradley Chubb getting more, you know, inclined to his environment, to the system, to what it might be. This is a new system for him up front this year coming over from Denver. And we'll see if he gets a return to that, whether it's, you know, a, a, a Fangio defense or a Fangio style defense for the Dolphins, like a Sean Desai. We've heard reports about both of those guys being. Um, interviewed by the Miami Dolphins, or requested for interviews by the Miami Dolphins per, I think, NFL Network's reporting. And we'll talk about that on a future podcast. But Chubb's ability to play inside and really threaten the immediate B-gap of the quarterback I think is is really paramount. Where I want to see him and this room get better as a whole off that side is jumping inside against the running game and kind of leaving that edge exposed. I think it happened a few too many times this season, and I think it was costly in some key spots. But I think that the moment... Bradley Chubb arrived. We saw the impact that it had on not just, you know, Jalen Phillips but the entire Dolphins pass rush. And he's been one of those guys that has been folding that backside of the pocket since the moment he was drafted. I think with Phillips coming off that front side of the formation, Chubb could get some more opportunities rushing the blind side and we saw him get the ball out of Josh Allen in the wildcard playoffs. And if we recover that football, we're in field goal range to potentially tie the game. You'd be talking about a much different opinion of uh, Chubb's season this year for the Dolphins if he had made that play in that spot. And he did. We just didn't recover the football. But I think you get a chance to see even more of his versatility flash. I think four-man rush packages with him and Phillips off the edge could be really, really beneficial for this defense. And uh, you know, we'll see what happens with Melvin Ingram and Andrew Van Ginkle. But with, with Chubb, and Phillips off either edge. You have to feel really good about this position group going forward. Other individuals, Harry mentioned Melvin Ingram. He had 536 total snaps, 147 against the run, 325 as a pass rusher, and 64 in coverage. He was second on the team with 38 quarterback pressures. He had 10 QB hits, 6 sacks, 14 run stops, 7 tackles for loss, and he gave you 3 plays in the football, a forced fumble, and 2 recoveries. One of those he ran back for a touchdown. I thought he was a great fit for the defense we previously played. Again, we'll see what it looks like going forward. But 50% of the plays, pass rush guy, condense inside, be part of that NASCAR package with him and Phillips and, and Chubb and Wilkins as the kind of four guys up front coming after the quarterback. I think that his his role here was a, was a very important one. He did exactly what I thought he would do this year with pressuring the quarterback, playing a key 50% role off the edge, coming down on the A gap, B gap, and rushing inside a few times and giving you solid run defense as well. To me, we'll see what happens. I don't know if you can make both Ingram and Van Ginkle work returning back here, but I think you have to look at one of them and give yourself a solid four-deep rotation because the other guy we're talking about here is Emmanuel Ogba, number 91, who will be back uh, from his injury. 326 snaps play. That's right alongside with Bradley Chubb. Basically had to replace him after he got injured. 102 against the run. 224 is a pass rusher, and he don't mess around with coverage snaps. Zero there. 15 pressure, seven hits, one sack, seven run stops, one tackle for loss and did not have any ball production. But man, the way he can come in here is as one of the purest pass rushers on the roster and his length paired with the explosion of Phillips and Chubb, I think, could make for some really fun pass rush packages where you can mix things up. Uh, so I, I think that his return next year in a more of a depth role between Phillips, Chubb, and Ogba, we'll see if it, it looks that way. You know, Chris Greer told us it's not going to look In the future, what it looks like right now, we'll see what it does. This could have some shakeup. I feel very confident Chubb and Phillips will be the primary guys. Uh, Ogba on that big contract as well could be a potential guy there as well. And then we'll see what happens with Ingram and Van Ginkle. And speaking of Van Ginkle, 357 snaps total, 156 against the run, 106 as a pass rusher, and 95 in coverage. He's a great special teams player as well. 11 pressures, 4 hits, a half sack, 18 run stops, 3 tackles for loss. Didn't have any ball production outside Check that. Yes, he did. He he returned to the block punt for a touchdown and had a pick uh this season. I'm curious to see what his market looks like. I think he's a really good player who probably will have a nice market. We'll see if the Dolphins want to go in that direction. But they have some options here at the edge position, including number 93, Trey Flowers, who played just 64 snaps, 18 against the run, 46 as a pass rusher. He had eight pressures and one hit, and that was your production from Trey Flowers. So I think it's I think it's arguably the, the best position group on the roster going forward because of those top two guys with Ogba coming back and if you sign Ingram or Van Ginkle back as well or Flowers even, then you definitely put yourself in that position. I think as a result in free agency, you're priced completely out of the top of the market or anything close to the top of the market. I think the best move is to retain Ingram. That's my personal preference. You might have to pinch pennies on Van Ginkle and part of that chub deal is you aren't paying, you know, you're not paying a lot at the other spot because you've got Ogba coming back so you're pretty committed here as far as financials of the position unless you make a move there and thankfully though your most productive player and from the looks of it the biggest breakout star candidate in my, for my money in 2023 in the NFL is also on his rookie Dylan Jalen Phillips so that helped you get Bradley Chubb in here as well so if you're looking at it all it's probably to fulfill Andrew Van Ginkle's role played last year you know 10-25 snaps a game depending on your availability at the position and the game plan and also a good 20 core special team snaps give Take that's kind of what Brian Scarlett used to do. I think Van Ginkle's a big upgrade on that. Maybe you go down that path again, bring him back. We have to wait to see the change in the scheme before you really get into this, so we'll keep it brief. But either way, I think you have to think of the, that part of the front seven that most likely gets the biggest ad is the off ball linebacker position. You know, I'm, I'm looking here. At this particular position group, like Lorenzo Carter, Agbania Okoronko from Houston, but he might get paid. Maybe another player like Trey Flowers or in that mold, Atano Passanoa from the Chief previously of the Chiefs, thinking a 30% type of player and the market to reflect that. And if you don't retain Ingram, then maybe that bumps towards 50%. So we'll see what happens with our own in-house guys, but it's going to be a, a buy low type of situation, I think, as far as what the roster tells you right now at this position group and in the draft Jordan Reed of ESPN says this is the deepest class in this year's draft at the edge position you're going to see several first round players here we always do I would say BJ Ojalari o- from LSU is about where you start to consider your potential first pick for Miami but again I think that is maybe the lowest on the team needs list I like Derek Hall from Auburn Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame a couple of day two names I, I-, I like there it's so early for me in the draft process I haven't even really began yet uh, Lucas Van Ness at Iowa's interesting player Byron Young at Alabama is a- body beautiful guy without tons of production but i'm a big fan of this draft class but i don't think miami is going to be real invested at that spot they have a lot of good players on their current roster let's go ahead and take our last break right here and come back and close it up with the top 10 sacks of 2022 a lot of the guys on this list in that list that's next drive time podcast your host travis wingfield brought to you by auto nation Welcome back into the Monday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. All January long, we are celebrating the top 10s for your Miami Dolphins this season. And we start today with the top 10 sacks against the Houston Texans. And newcomer, we just talked about him, Melvin Ingram. Come on, third night. Allen
0: running for his
1: life, and he's buried. Short and sweet on that call, but he showed off his patented move against the Houston Texans. A lot of Melvin Ingram's sacks look the same, which is a testament to how good he is at this looping inside in in any fashion, really. I remember watching his tape last offseason after he signed here and just marveling at that crossover step paired with the lateral explosiveness and agility. It usually serves him well on a stunt. But this was just him getting a two-way go against a right tackle and against one of the game's better right tackles and Tyus Howard. They try to chip him, leave the inside post free, and he just beats the tackle to the spot. Allen tries to wheel out, and Melvin finishes by swiping at the legs, tripping him up, and it came on a five-sack day for the Miami defense. They also forced three turnovers and scored a defensive touchdown and allowed just 210 yards on the day. Our next sack, in a losing effort on Christmas Day, from Alandon Roberts.
0: His first throw here, off a of bootleg. We'll have to wait as he sets, And it's Roberts making back-to-back
1: clay plays. Making back-to-back clay plays once again. A Landon Roberts, right after a big run stuff on the previous play, Closes downhill for a big shot on Aaron Rodgers on Christmas Day. We don't have the radio calls yet. They're coming. They're hit or miss. Landon Roberts is good for one big stick a game, it seems like. And this one came against the Green Bay quarterback. It's a play-action boot on second and goal from the five-yard line. Still a very big possibility of a touchdown being scored, but not after Roberts makes this play. He flows with the original fake, recognizes that fake, and peels off and takes off on a sprint right after number 12 in green, gets him in the crosshairs and brings him to the ground at the 18-yard line, a 13-yard loss. This was after a play where he made the big hit on the run stuff following a 94-yard kickoff return. So Landon Roberts essentially on this drive, saves you four points. It was the 13th straight game for the Dolphins with a sack, the 7th straight with multiple sacks at that point, and they totaled 17 sacks in five weeks at that point. Number 8, we go back to the defensive secondary for a sack in primetime in Los Angeles.
0: Third down and 10. Let's see where they go here, Joe. Yeah, here they come. They're coming after them. Rowe goes after them. Rowe's got the back side. He goes down. Second sack of the evening for the Miami Dolphins defense. Eric Rowe with it. Wow, what a play by Eric Rowe. He got blocked and got off it
1: and got him from behind. He has really made some big plays the last couple weeks. And I'm so impressed by what Eric Rowe has done the last three or four years changing positions. And here he shows you the redirect skills of a defensive end rushing the quarterback as he jumps on Justin Herbert. Splash player this year man played about half the snaps but showed up in some critical moments for Eric Rowe including this third down and 10 sack to get off the field. Herbert takes the snap and the Dolphins change the picture up on the Los Angeles quarterback by peeling Bradley Chubb out into coverage and replacing his role as a rusher with Eric Rowe. The Chargers slide the protection away and bring the back across the formation and try to cut Rowe down but Rowe stays upfield with his eyes on the quarterback. That's going to be a theme in this podcast and gets behind Justin Herbert, but redirects back in front of him because of having the eyes on the quarterback. Really damn good play from a guy that I just have the utmost respect for the way he did the makeover on his game back in 2019. With the position change, getting big sacks is a big part of that. Play number seven, we go back to the Houston game and the first of three appearances with this burst of speed from Jalen Phillips against the Houston Texans.
0: Third down and five, 9.20 left to play, third quarter. Miami 30, the Texans nothing. Allen back to throw, but Jalen Phillips picks up his first sack of the afternoon. The fourth sack for the Dolphin defense. What a great pressure again. Jalen now has three and a half sacks, four
1: and a half sacks on the year. Allen back to throw. He's getting pressure off the right side. Jalen Phillips, he got him. Sack for the Dolphins. And they're going to get off the field once again. Jalen Phillips, what a game. What a year. What a play he made there. That's what I would call it. Phillips gets a big sack off the edge right here against the Texans. And when you freeze the play at the snap, you see Phillips coming out of the blocks like Usain Bolt. Nobody's even gotten out of their stance yet, and he's already head forward, running full speed ahead. And it's one of his many rushes from that three-tech position, working off the right guard of the offense in this particular instance. His versatility is crazy. He gets upfield on the right guard in a flash, then lowers his shoulder into him and just takes control of the rep by running the guard right past the quarterback. And with, again, the eyes on the quarterback, Phillips sees Allen step up into the pocket, spins inside using all the momentum of that guard to push off and stop Allen cold in his tracks. And it was a well-timed cater who blitz off the other edge that created a free run from him, which stopped Allen from stepping up off of his spot. Team effort, but Phillips finishes the deal. For play number six, we go right back to Jalen Phillips and right back to primetime football.
0: Back to throw. Pickett's getting pressure.
1: They finally got him.
0: Jalen Phillips. He started strong. Sealer had a lot of force coming through too, Joe. A power rush.
1: I thought Phillips had his real breakout game in this game against the Steelers. Second and 11 from their own 26. Pickett gets immediate pressure inside from Zach Sealer, which forces him to flee left. Phillips' is one-on-one versus the left tackle. He plays through the tackle by resetting the anchor and again with eyes on the quarterback disengages and meets Pickett before he can break the pocket. He made so many effort plays in this game, in this season. Cannot wait to see your number three from Jalen Phillips. Speaking of a guy that broke out in year three and continued it in year number four, let's go back to prime time and holding the Chargers to a field goal thanks to this sack from Christian Wilkins.
0: Austin Eckler, the running back, second down in 10 from the Dolphins 20. Herbert back to throw, looking, 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 getting pressure. He got him. It's Wilkins, Christian Wilkins,
1: a sack tonight. He's been playing out of his mind the last several weeks. He's on a roll again in this game. He sure was. He came on like gangbusters. They hold the Chargers to a field goal thanks to that second down sack. And stop me if you've heard this before. Christian Wilkins' effort leads to a play. It's great coverage on 2nd and 10. Dolphins bring just 3. Herbert clutches, starts to maneuver in the pocket. Paneuver? Maneuver. And there's Wilkins rushing from the 4 eye position off the inside shoulder of the right tackle. Both the tackle and the right guard double him. So he elevates to bat the pass because he was great in that regard this year as well. And that's usually the end of your pass rush plan, right? Not here. He hits the ground running like one of those pullback and release to- uh, car toys blows past the right tackle, and engulfs Herbert in the process, then does a great Sean Merriman ode with the lights-out dance. Dolphins back seven, really covering the hook and curl-flat options as you see Herbert look there first, go back to the backside, tuck the football, and by the time all that happens, Christian Wilkins is on him for a big sack. Christian's best friend, Zach Sealer made a big play against the Detroit Lions to get off the field on third down in Motown, his hometown. They Brown in motion. On third down and nine from the
0: Lions 26. They got him. They got him. Sealer. Sealer with the sack. His first of the year. He's playing a whale of a football game, Joe. Jimmy, they collapse that pocket. Phillips also with a big pass rush on the outside. We talked about it early, Jimmy. You got to get pressure on these quarterbacks. They got to feel you.
1: So often you hear about Wilkins and Phillips and Sealer and all these guys coming together. It was a big, big sack there for Zach Sealer, again, talking about his homecoming. Critical third and nine on a game where the Dolphins just could not get off the field and get stops in this game. The Michigan native makes a massive play and a massive moment. The Dolphins had just taken their first lead of the game after Tua's third touchdown pass of the day, makes it 31-27 late in the third quarter. The Lions drive goes into the fourth quarter and Sealer works from his five-tech position with a stunting loop inside around Jerome Baker whose rush wipes out two, and Sealer scrapes off of that charge and runs in for a big hit on the quarterback and a sack. We stay in the NFC North for our number three play and Melvin Ingram gets a huge sack against Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears.
0: First ten of Chicago 42 back to throw. Finally they got him! go. Melvin Ingram finally gets to Fields for the first sack of the day. That was a frustration sack, boy. Melvin Ingram's jacked up going, man, we finally got this guy down. Back at the 37-yard line. Boy, that was a a big man's takedown right there. That was where he was That was bull rushing and just throwing you down. You're not getting away this time. I'm going to rodeo you down.
1: And that's exactly what he did. You heard the excitement in Jimmy's voice there off the top talking about we finally got him to the ground because Justin Fields escaped all day long and made big plays with his legs like he is wont to do. Gosh, hearing these sound bites makes me fired up for next season man. Let's go back to September. I don't got to deal with the rest of the calendar, but either way, Melvin Ingram sack puts the Bears behind the sticks on a critical possession. Dolphins fourth quarter defense once again holds in this one to get the victory for Miami after another great offensive performance. Until that point, Fields had done whatever he wanted to. Miami a 3-point lead. to play, first and 10 at the minus 42. Ingram in a stand-up rushing position to the offense's left. Miami brings five against a five-man protection, and Ingram just dominates his one-on-one. He resets rookie left tackle Braxton Jones into a one-legged position by using his power to get up under the pads and unearthing him from that position. And once he pushes the tackle back, disengages back inside and right into field who wants to flush again, before he finishes the run, he makes the big tackle. And Sealer had a good rush where he got knocked back and didn't run the right by the quarterback. You often see the players, you know, get that pass rush win and just blow by the quarterback. Didn't do that. He stopped and awaited the escape and got his hands up, which forced Fields into the waiting hands of Melvin Ingram. For play number two, we go back to Jalen Phillips in a huge play in a huge game against a hated division rival who's now home like us up in Buffalo.
0: On the right side. Allen, looking, backside pressure comes, he's hit, the ball is out, Miami's got it. Of course. Jalen Phillips with the strip sack, and the Dolphins recover. Christian Wilkins had it bounce right up to him. Oh, wow, what a strip sack. Watch this, watch Phillips get right on Allen. As soon as he goes to throw it, knocks that ball out, and, of course, Johnny on the spot. Is Christian Wilkins,
1: and that was a great pass rush move there by Jalen Phillips to get to Josh Allen. I'm glad we got this one up here because it illustrates Jalen's effort, which was on another level all year long. Dolphins have a five-point lead in the fourth quarter. Bills ball right at midfield. Dolphins show pressure, only bring four. And again, Phillips is off the football before anybody else. He burns past the right tackle, but Allen steps up and starts to hunt from his new platform. He goes to throw, but there's that length and effort and will of Jalen Phillips to accelerate through the through the redirect and get the football out and right into the arms of as you heard it there Johnny on the spot Christian Wilkins what a play in a big moment I expect more moments like that in the future from these two pairings up in that building against the Buffalo Bills and what a great call there by Mark Sanchez I I love his play-by-play by the way or rather color commentary I hope we get more of him on Dolphins calls next year for play number one we go back to another game against a division rival the first game of the year back at Hard Rock Stadium for Brandon Jones Melvin Ingram putting the first touchdown on the board for the Miami Dolphins in 2022. On second and ten.
0: On the blitz, loose ball inside the five Ooh. to the end zone. Touchdown, Dolphins. Brandon Jones applied the hit to Mac Jones. Melvin Ingram cleaned it up for the touchdown. Where Brandon Jones, Scott Free, off of Mac Jones' blindside, a tremendous blitzer, and he gives the Dolphins exactly what they needed. Forces the fumble, Ingram with the touchdown. That's a big
1: play defense. Brandon Jones, man, we missed that guy so much this year, and he forced it, Ingram scooped it and scored it. The way Jones disguises his blitzes with late rotation to full the quarterback is a total thing of beauty. He does it every single year. Man, I missed that dude this year. You know, Byron Jones, not having him all year sucked, but Brandon Jones was right up there. And I know the defense was played through the cornerback position and the ability to lock down the perimeter, but Brandon Jones's blitz ability and the way it freed up Javon Holland, I think getting him back is going to be a huge, huge boon next season, free up more of Holland to make the plays that we've seen him make all his career. And by that late movement, it has the left tackle commit to his block, leaving the free run for Brandon Jones, and he has a way of timing these things where he can scrape so close to the, the formation that allows him to get in before the ball comes out. And as the back to that side also goes into the route, Mack hitches up, and by the time he hitches up that one-hitch timing, Brandon Jones is right there, goes for the ball, gets it out. Melvin Ingram, one hand, plucks it off the turf and takes it in for six. So those are your top ten sacks. Carryover there between that and top ten touchdowns of the 2022 season you can find the entire video up on the team youtube channel as well as on our social channels we'll come back on wednesday and have i believe top 10 runs for y'all we'll also take a look at the running back position plenty to come your way here on the drive time podcast we'll also look at the defensive coordinator spot talk about some possible names plenty coming here uh, down the pike on your off-season edition of the drive time podcast but in the meantime that is going to be my time you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on apple podcast leave us a rating leave us a review you can follow me on twitter at wingfield nfl follow the team at miami dolphins check out the fish tank podcast we are taking a break from the twitter spaces show the post game show obviously is no more also the international podcast in the entire network again the team youtube channel for these videos for media availabilities all that fun stuff dolphins today and last but not least miamidolphins.com until next time fins up caroline cameron daddy's coming home